Happy Thursday. Uh, you guys must like really love Jesus because you're coming to church on Thursday. These are super Christians that I'm talking to, right? Yeah, hey, really, really happy to be here. We've had this in the works for a while, and it's good that um, this has all finally come together. Uh, like Michael was saying, I pastor a little vineyard church in Campbellsville, Kentucky, and uh, so I'm a redneck. Anybody, anybody else in here a redneck? High fives. There we go. I'm in good company. Um, yeah, uh, I live in Campbellsville, Kentucky. I have a wife. I have four kids. River is 17. Seth is 16. Magnolia is 12. And Rowan is five. And if you can do the math, you can tell we were not anticipating Rowan. He somehow happened. We received him, but he ended up being the joy in our family. He's the wild man because he mostly hangs out with his 16 and 17-year-old brother. So he knows things he shouldn't know. And it has is, it is permanently affected his brain. Uh, this was a couple years ago, but this will just give you insight into to Rowan. I was putting him to bed, and right before I turned the lights out, he's like, yeah, Dad, I got a question. I said, okay, what? And he said, Dad, is, uh, is Jesus nice? I'm like, yeah, he's real nice, you know? Yeah, he's super nice. And then he says, well, Dad, is... Is, is Jesus rich? And I was like, he's not hurting. He's, yeah, he's rich. Yeah, I think he's got a lot of money. I don't know. I mean, yeah, I think he's doing okay, you know? And then Rowan, just as quick as a cat, prays this prayer. He prays, dear Jesus, please give my dad all your money. <laughs> I thought that was, his, that was just brilliant, you know? It's been one of my favorite little moments ever, but that's sort of like, how our family runs. We're a little bit upside down. And uh, like Michael said, I also, with my father-in-law and my brother-in-law, we own uh, a, a wine vineyard. And so we have about eight acres of wine grapes, which was much bigger and much more involved than we ever thought. And so we do that as well. So we just have our hands in a lot of stuff. But the main thing that I do is stuff like this, meaning come to talk to people about who Jesus is. Okay, and because I'm from five hours away, that means I'm a God expert, right? No, no. In fact, I needed to give you this disclaimer before I talk tonight. I'm actually not going to share anything with you for the next couple nights that's super mind-blowing. I'm going to share with you some stuff that's pretty well straight down the middle, but I think it has the added benefit of actually being true, okay? Could we do some of that? Um, here, here's what I want to do tonight, if, if you'll allow it. I want to talk to you tonight about the message of Jesus, okay? And then tomorrow night, I want to talk to you about the methods of Jesus. And you'll probably notice in here, as we sort of like work through this the next couple nights, that there's a good bit of overlap. But the main thing I want to talk about tonight are really just the message of Jesus. Um, here's the reason I want to talk to you about the message of Jesus. Uh, the reason I want to talk to you about the message of Jesus is because it's the message of the kingdom. And if you read the Gospels, one of the things you'll notice is that Jesus only had one message, and it was the message of the kingdom of God, the gospel of the kingdom of God, the good news of God's rule and reign. That may be one way to say it. That was his main message. And here's what I noticed as I got a little older. Um, by the way, I turned 41 two days ago, so I'm Look at this gray beard. It's 
My wife calls me the silver fox. Rarely seen in the wild. That's right. Anyway, but one of the things I noticed as I'd gotten a little older is that I noticed that I had grown up with a version of the message, of Jesus' message, but it wasn't really the real thing. Now, how many of you have ever had this awakening in your life? By the way, you might have this awakening two or three times in your life. You're like, this thing just keeps going deeper. No, I grew up in church, right? So my parents were radically saved in the charismatic renewal of the 1970s. My dad was sort of like non-practicing Baptist. He was a wild man, raced motorcycles, didn't care anything about Jesus, got radically saved in a super weird charismatic meeting, threw metal folding chairs down on a concrete floor, came forward, gave his life to Jesus, spoke in tongues, the whole thing, right? My mom grew up in basically a fundamentalist Church of Christ atmosphere. Uh, Speaking in tongues would be like the worst thing that could happen to you. And in these same meetings, the worst thing that could happen to you happened to her, right? So my sister and I, we grew up in what I would call a very charismatic home. Uh, We mostly went to charismatic home churches. And we did that till we were about in middle school or uh, about eighth grade going into our freshman year. And we finally came to my mom and said, Mom, we just can't do this anymore. Can we just go to a normal church? Because we want friends. Because can I just tell you something? It's hard being a charismatic sometimes. It's just hard, right? And anyway, so we went to this other church, and it was that same sort of like strain of uh, of borderline fundamentalist Church of Christ, but it had a massive youth group. And so my wife and I, we ended up meeting there, actually. But my sister and I, we went there, and we got a bunch of friends. And you know, like I said, ended up meeting my wife, and all these amazing things happened. And so I sort of got really really baptized into church at a really deep level. But then when I got older, I started realizing, wow, the message of Jesus that I had received pretty much my entire life, uh, it's kind of different from the actual message of Jesus. Like it's similar. Uh, it, 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 won't, it won't ruin your life, but it's not really the thing. It's not, it's not the actual thing. And here's what I'll, I'll just make this distinction and maybe this will cause some lights to come on in the room. Um, Okay, so Jesus had this one message. It was the gospel of the kingdom of God, the good news of God's rule and reign. That's his message. That's what he always talked about. And after several years of growing up and going to church and all these things, I started realizing that I had just sort of in the South, in Kentucky, I consider that the South, I realized I hadn't really received the gospel of the kingdom of God. I kind of just received the gospel. And by that, we meant don't go to hell when you die. How many of you grew up with that? Yeah, it, it, wasn't, it wasn't the gospel of God's rule and reign really for us here today. It was just like, whatever you do, don't go to hell, you know? And it was every single Sunday, don't go to hell. And it was a lot of, it was like actually shouted a lot. There was a lot of shouting. And I realize I'm even amplifying my voice right now. <laughs> I think it's just the coffee. It's not even the, it's not even the Holy Spirit. It's just... It's just caffeine. Anyway, I just realized I'd grown up with with this message. Don't go to hell. And by the way, just as a side note, I want to say, I highly recommend not going to hell. (laughs) So if at the end of this message, anybody here would like to come forward and not go to hell, we'll have a prayer team who can help you with that, okay? (laughs) But I just had this awakening that I had kind of grown up my entire life And the whole thing was about not going to hell. And then I realized, 
wait, that's not even like 1% of what Jesus came to talk to people about. Like, did Jesus talk about hell? Yeah, he did talk about hell. Did he talk about it directly? Yeah, he talked about it directly. Was it his lead card? No, it was never his lead card. It was never even the middle of what he had to talk about. And I realized that I had grown up in a tradition that had overemphasized this really truncated version of the message of Jesus and left out about like 98% of it. And not only that, but here's the real kicker. I realized that if you receive or you respond to a message to follow, Jesus that's basically don't go to hell when you die. How many of you understand here that there's a lot of anxiety in that and you might not even realize it on the front end? Yeah. Yeah. How many of you have ever been in a meeting where someone dangled a whole group of people over hell and was like, you know, the baptistry's here and it's cold, you know? It's one of those deals. And I realized that after many years of this, that the message that I had initially responded to Jesus in was really one that was maybe only 1% of the message, and it was rooted in fear and anxiety. And so I had this low-grade fever of anxiety and fear that was happening in my life, and guess what? It had been happening for decades now. Can I tell you the problem with having a low-grade God fever of anxiety? Here's the main problem with that. It's really hard to grow love in scared soil. We'll just let that settle for a minute. It's really hard to grow affections for God when you're like at a subterranean level anxious. That's really, really, really difficult. I would go so far as to say borderline impossible. Not only that, the Bible started like coming back together for me. Like even passages like the passage in 1 John maybe some of you guys know it. You probably do. You, you come to church on a Thursday night. <laughs> John says in that little epistle, he says, perfect love casts out what? Yeah, they just, they, they don't exist together, right? There is no fear in love, but perfect love dries out fear. I realized at a certain point that I had invested my life or I'd responded to Jesus really from a place of anxiety and avoidance rather than apprehending or laying hold of something good and the very thing that would drive out fear. And here's the problem with anxiety. It leaves very little room for joy. It, re it leaves very little room for love. It leaves very little room for even things like play and freedom. One of the words that God's been giving me lately about the good news of his kingdom is one word. It's play. There's a sense in which uh, there's not just freedom in Jesus, but there's freedom to experiment. There's freedom to, to do things that don't initially make sense. There's freedom to try things out. There's freedom to discover, you know? And in an anxious environment or an anxious system, that just won't happen. 
you know? How many of you, uh, don't raise your hands. <laughs> How many of you grew up in a home where there was a lot of fear or anxiety, you know? What does that do with kids? It just takes all of the uh, inclinations of a child's heart and it just squashes them, you know? Yeah, same. Same thing in your faith and in your walk with Jesus. Anyway, some of this may have been your experience or maybe not, but in either case, I, I want to take a few moments tonight and I want to bring forward what I think is the essence of the Jesus message or the message of the kingdom. And the first thing that we have to get straight here is that the Jesus message or the message of Jesus, it has a twofold dynamic, okay? It's a twofold dynamic in this thing. Uh, the, first, the first aspect of this message is, is very, very basic. Uh, it's that Jesus has a message, okay? We're going to look at that a little bit later this evening. But the second thing you need to you understand about the message of Jesus, it's not just that Jesus has a message, but it's that Jesus is the message. This was the thing I really woke up to. And that's actually what I want to start with because I believe it's more foundational. So when it comes to the message of Jesus, we have to understand that Jesus has a message, but more powerfully, I believe, and even more foundationally, we have to understand that Jesus is the message. Fancy theology word for that would be incarnation. And I want to briefly look at both of those with you tonight. I guess if we're going to talk about Jesus is the message, the best way to start thinking about this is to do a little thought experiment. So maybe you could just think along with me because it goes something, it goes something like this. How many of you know that when Jesus was one day old in his mother's arms, he was the message? You ever thought about it like that before? When Jesus was one day old in his mother's arms, unable to speak, he was the word of God. It's kind of a great thought, isn't it? Let's just keep going. When Jesus was 15 years old, when he had pimples, when he was, uh, when he was stinky, how many of you understand that middle school boys smell terrible? <laughs> I've had two of them. Going to have another. Not only that, but like, I think it was um, four years ago, I went to Georgia and I did this thing called Camp Vineyard. It's like a middle school, high school camp. There's 450 or 60 vineyard kids from all over the southeast. And I went and spoke down there. And by the third night, when you walked into the big room for worship, it smelled like gym socks and onions. What is that? Yeah, that's like... Whatever's happening in a 15-year-old boy's body, right? Okay, so let's just, let's jump back into our story here. When Jesus was 15 years old, when he had pimples on his face, and when he was really stinky, he was the word of God. I, I would even say it a different way. That was the word. This is a really fun experiment. Let's just keep going. 
when Je- some of us are like, I don't know what we're talking about right now. Just hang on. It's going to get better or maybe worse. I don't know. All right. Yeah. When Jesus was 23, I don't know if you thought about this. When Jesus was 23 years old and girlfriendless, he was the message. And imagine what a disappointment Jesus was to his mother and father to be a 23-year-old guy who still lived at home and was working in his dad's carpentry shop and didn't even have a girlfriend. Like, this is when you need to get married, man, and you don't even have a girlfriend. Imagine this, when Jesus is 23 and he doesn't have a girlfriend and he's probably mildly disappointed to his mother, that's the word. Okay. When Jesus is 28 and he is still working in his father's shop, making tables, that was the message. He was the word of God. Go forward. When Jesus was 30 and called his first disciples, he was the message. When Jesus was sleeping in the back of the boat in the middle of the storm, He was the message. We could play this all night. But here's the thing I want you to see right here. I want you to see that the message of the kingdom is just, it's not just a call we hear, but it's a person we actually end up getting to know. The message of the kingdom is a person, and that's Jesus. And because it's Jesus, this means some stuff. It means, something, it means something kind of like this. If Jesus were the word of God as a baby when he was one day old in his mother's arms, it means this. It means the good news is that tenderness and vulnerability are parts of God's kingdom. Not only that, it means this. There are parts of God's kingdom that can only come through tenderness, vulnerability, and, and being open to the elements. How many of you know that if Jesus did not have a good mother, he would have died? And so the first person who ever trusted people was actually God. And so in the end, God ends up asking people to trust him. But at the beginning, God is actually the person who's most trusting people. Because Mary could have been a not good mother and he would not have made it. But if Jesus is the word of God, and if he is the message at one day old, it means that tenderness and vulnerability and nakedness and smallness are parts of God's kingdom. And not only that, but there's entries into God's kingdom that will only come through smallness, nakedness, tenderness, and vulnerability. This is the word. And if Jesus were the message, if he was the word of God when he was 15 with pimples, then the good news is this, that God is often coming to us in the awkward in-between moments when we are in transition. How many people here are having an awkward in-between transitional moment in your life right now? Yeah, we're going to pray for you later, right? Here's what I want you to think as you go through this season of awkwardness and transition. I just want you to think about yourself being the 
a puberty Jesus who's going through some major changes and is maybe stinking up the house a little bit. Here's the word. God is into process. God is into progress. God is into change. God is even into messy changes. This is part of the kingdom. And there's aspects of God's kingdom that will only come through the awkwardness of going from one phase to another. Uh, Not only that, but awkwardness doesn't inhibit God's kingdom at all. Oftentimes, awkwardness is part of it. If Jesus were the message in his father's shop at 28, then the good news is this. Regular work is holy work. I just want to say this for a few people who are here this evening. I don't know if this is true in Ohio, but in Kentucky and in most of the South, uh, there's a formula, there's a, there's a program that runs in people's brains almost all the time. It goes something like this. Well, if you love God, you'll become a pastor. And if you really, really, really love God, you'll be a missionary. Or if you're in the vineyard, it goes like this. If you love God, you'll become a pastor. And if you really, really, really love God, you'll plant a church. I, I just want to tell you, uh, that's good. Like, God bless all of that. Those are valid options. They're not the only options. And how do I know this? I know this because Jesus spent most of his life not doing ministry that we would call ministry. Jesus spent most of his life getting calluses on his actual hands, building tables for other people. And part of what this means is that regular work is holy work. It could be a vocation. It could be a calling. If you're a teacher, maybe you shouldn't quit. If you are a mother, maybe you shouldn't give up so easily on that either. If you are going to drive a truck, if you are working at a factory, if you're a leader, if you're an entrepreneur, maybe you shouldn't look for ways to get out of that, to get into church. Maybe God has you right where you need to be because part of what it means is that your regular life is holy and it is useful and it's an outpost of the kingdom. By the way, this is the message of the kingdom. I didn't grow up hearing this. If Jesus were the word of God at 23, when he was wifeless, then this means that the good news is this, that life is more than sex and marriage. Listen, I'm 41. I have four kids. Clearly, I'm into sex and marriage. And I'm not hoping for less of it. I'm hoping for more of it. Okay? And if you're married, I I want you to hope for more of it. But here's the other thing I want you to know. That if Jesus never got a wife and never had sex, part of what this means is that the word from God is your life is more than your mate or who you were having sex with. Like two of the most preeminent guys in the whole New Testament never got married. Part of what this means is there's something else out there for us that is rich and it is deep and it could come through marriage or maybe it won't or maybe in the waiting there's something rich and deep that you're actually not missing out on and will only be available to you in those moments. The 15-year-old boys are like, oh, I don't want to end this life. Everybody good? Everybody happy? Okay, good. Just stay with me. Thank you. If Jesus is born, and by being born, if he's the message, then the good news is that God is with us. And 
And the good news is that spirit is not opposed to matter. I want to unpack that just for a second. This is like so important. Like one of the things that we all grew up with as Western rational Americans is, is basically we've just, we've just grown up swimming in the waters of Greek rational philosophy, which basically did this. Greek rational philosophy always wants to split spirit from matter, okay? And here's how you see that stuff. Like spirit is good and matter is bad. Like heaven is good and the earth is bad. Like God is good or, or the Holy Spirit is good and your flesh is what? Bad. And here's, here's, what that, here's, here's the truth about all of that. All of that's garbage. None of that's true. How do we know? Because Jesus was born. And if Jesus was born, then he has a body. And not only does he have a body, but by having a body, God has said forever, by the way, Jesus still has a body, God has said forever that spirit is not opposed to matter. In fact, matter is the perfect home for spirit. They'll never be torn apart. And if Jesus was born, we can get that. But it's not just from his being born, but God raised up the dead Jesus, and Jesus forever has a scarred body, right? And part of what this means is that God has forever said he has doubled down on the idea of incarnation, and spirit is not opposed to matter. And what this means is your life matters. Your body matters. Where you live matters. Who you marry matters. What your home is like matters. What you do matters. Your vocation matters. Your neighbors matter. Uh, uh, the animals matter. Plants matter. The earth matters. It all matters. Why? Because it's a home. Not just for us, but it's a home for God in some way. Does this make sense? How many of you feel it getting lighter in here? Like, isn't this better news? Like, like I believe the don't go to hell stuff, right? But how many of you understand that's ultimately not very compelling? And how many of you understand that what I've given you already is like life affirming for people and it's hopefully opening up the doors and like the message of the kingdom is like, whoa, we, we could do anything, right? Yeah. That's what I want you to feel. If Jesus grew, if he went from being a baby to a man, it means that process is a part of the work. I just want you to hear that tonight. Process is a part of the work. If Jesus spent most of his life doing other things than ministry then the good news is that there's a lot more to life than church meetings. And I'm saying that to people who are at church. <laughs> the irony is not lost on me. Uh, here, here's something that I just think is a real fun thing to think about. Uh, uh, how many years did Jesus live, Bible scholars? 33. How many years did he do ministry? All right. Jesus, I, I'm not a mathematician, I, I failed math in almost every grade, but I think, and I, and I know this only because I asked my friend Jeremy, who is a mathematician and he works for Amazon, I'm, I, I'm pretty sure that like roughly what that means is Jesus spent about 90% of his life not doing any ministry. Am I right? And so Jesus did ministry 10% of his life and he spent most of his life not doing ministry, right? Let's just sit with that for a second. Isn't that a fun thought? Okay, how many of you understand that in the 90% when Jesus wasn't doing ministry, he was just as much the word of God as he was when he was doing it? 
What does this mean? Oh, part of what this means is God is way bigger. He is way wider. He is way more at work in the areas, places, and domains we had no clue that he was working in. I just want you to think about that right now. Like, like how, how much time do you, do you come to church, you know? Uh, the truth is, even if you're like a, like a mega Christian, you don't come to church, but maybe a couple hours a week. Like, you come to church a couple hours a week and you have a home group, which, by the way, I recommend. That'll help you. <laughs> Let's keep doing that. But then there's all this other life, right? And it's easy for us to compartmentalize it and just think, well, there's this, this church life and God is there or something, and then there's this other life. But the truth is, the other life is just as much filled with God as the church stuff, you know? And, and when you go to work on a Monday morning or when you open up your classroom on Tuesday to small children, it's just as imbued with the Spirit as it was a few moments ago when we were like singing songs to Jesus. It's, the, it's like it's the same. Like God is at work and we have to like wake up and we cannot spend 90% of our lives being asleep to the places where God is most interested in doing something. This is worth meditating on. All right. Everybody still good? Okay. That was just a little riff on Jesus is the message. We could actually just stay there all night. I love talking about that stuff because it just screws with our heads. It's like, wait. There's, by the way, I just want to say, there's so much more. And I highly recommend you thinking about that for the next like, month or so. Just begin to dwell on not the message that even Jesus spoke so much, but begin to dwell on Jesus is the message. Just think about him. Like he's, that's the message. What is that? Because there's so much more. Now I want to talk to you just for a few minutes about the message that Jesus speaks, right? And obviously Jesus speaks on all kinds of stuff, on all kinds of stuff, but I want to just highlight one little two-verse portion out of the Gospel of Mark, and we'll put it up on the big screen here. This is Mark chapter 1, 14 and 15. Look at that. It's magic. It goes like this. After John was put in prison, that'd be John the Baptist, Jesus went into Galilee proclaiming the good news of God. He began to just talk about all this stuff. And this is his message. The time has come, he said. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. So Jesus is the message, but then Jesus has a message. And this is a really great distillation of the message of Jesus. Two verses, really great distillation. Probably most of us in the room have heard these words a time or two. And there's probably a word or two in this that sort of sticks out for us. And we're going to get to that. But the first thing I want you to notice is that all of this action is happening after John the Baptist gets put in prison. It's kind of funny, isn't it? Like Jesus gets, gets brave and decides to break out and go ahead and do this stuff when, when times get bad for preachers. I, I just think that's real funny. And again, by the way, that's, that's a word from God because Jesus is the message, right? Uh, what is the word? Well, uh, the message of the kingdom is uh, it's courage. It's also courage and boldness. You know, I, I just told you a minute ago, is tenderness and vulnerability? Well, yeah, it's that, but it's also courage and boldness. Like, as soon as it gets to be a bad time for preachers, Jesus starts preaching. <laughs> I love that. But notice what he says. He, he says three things in particular. 
He says, the time has come, number one. Uh, Number two, he says, the kingdom is near. And then number three, he says, repent and believe the good news. And and, and you know, if you grew up in church or or if you've been in church at all, there's there's one word in there that sort of sticks out uh, and it's pretty obvious. What, What word am I talking about? It's repent, right? Like that's the one. It's like, oh yeah. This was a part of my awakening too. Like, I grew up thinking repent meant like feel bad about everything you've ever done and don't go to hell. I was like really surprised when I found out that repent really means something kind of like this. Uh, Change your mind. Uh, Repent means something along the lines of uh, start thinking a new way. Um, Change the way you think about everything reconsider your life. That's basically what the word repent means. Now, if Jesus is showing up and saying, well, the time has come and the kingdom of God is near, uh, change the way you think or change your mind and believe the good news, what is it that he is asking us to change our mind about? Have you ever thought about that? I'm going to teach you how to read the Bible here real quick. Yeah. Anytime you run into one of these moments and you're like, man, okay, Jesus is telling me something. I need to know what it is Jesus is telling me. I don't know what it means in terms of what he's trying to tell me. The first thing you do whenever you're reading the Bible is you just look around all the things that are happening that you don't understand and you try to find something you do understand. Uh, It's called looking for like context clues. Anybody know, go to school, you're like, just like if you don't know a word, look at all the words around it and maybe they'll tell you the word. I was always a good test taker. I was never very smart, but I can always test above because I would look at context clues. Yeah, yeah. Okay, what is it that Jesus is asking us to change our minds about? It's actually in this passage. Two things. Jesus is asking people to change the way they think about two things. Number one, when the kingdom of heaven is, and number two, where the kingdom of heaven is. How many of you have ever read this this way? Maybe not. I didn't either until about seven years ago. Started to see this. Jesus shows up and kicks off his first message in the gospel of Mark by saying, everybody's gotta get a brain change, and here's what I need you to start thinking about. I need you to reconsider when the kingdom of heaven is, and I need you to reconsider where the kingdom of heaven is. Now, I don't know if you were like me, but I grew up thinking that the kingdom of heaven was like some other day, and it was mostly like after you die, right? Like all the good stuff was locked behind a dead body somewhere, you know? And I also grew up thinking like this. Uh, Not only was it another time, but I grew up thinking that the kingdom of heaven was another what? Place. Yeah? Like it's, it's up there. You know? It's like way, it's like a million miles past our solar system somewhere. Uh, it's, it's unattainable. And so you end up having this life where there's, like what do we do, right? And so Jesus shows up being the word himself in human flesh Two people, God is with us. We're not, we're not separated any longer. Not only that, but like 
God has come really near and he's come to us in, in tender and vulnerable ways and he comes to us in brave and courageous ways and he comes to us in process and he comes to us in all these ways and he comes up and he says, you know what I need everybody to do? I need you to change your opinions about where heaven is and when heaven is because it is like now and it is in some passages like at hand, meaning about as far away from you as your hand is from your shoulder. A new way to think. Jesus is saying, begin to wake up and realize that what God is up to is all around us. Stop thinking that the good news of the kingdom is stuck in another time. Stop thinking that it's stuck in another place. Start thinking that the kingdom of heaven is happening now and start thinking that it's really close to us. And by the way, this is all embodied in Jesus as the message as well. Start living with a heart to wake up to these two realities. And I know, I know, I know some of us in the room are thinking, well, Adam, that just sounds like wishful thinking. Or maybe, or maybe you, you might be like a real good vineyard person. You might be thinking, well, isn't the kingdom uh, now and not yet? It sounds like you're just saying the kingdom is now. Well, yeah, the kingdom is now and not yet. Of course it is. But even in the not yet moments, God is at work and he's close. Yeah. And this is, this is an area I think in the vineyard we need to grow in. Uh, what are now and not yet moments? And maybe... Uh, you haven't been initiated into this sort of language or this, this sort of thing, and I'll just tell you real quick. Like, like the now moments are like when God seems to break in and there's some sort of an intervention and like things just get set right and made well and everything is perfect and the family's not fighting and, and all the sicknesses leave and the kids are well behaved and the dog doesn't bark at the neighbors and, and like, like you have money. <laughs> you know, it's like, yeah. And the not yet moments are when, are when, uh, relationships are strained and for all your best efforts things don't get better and when you prayed for your neighbor 10 times and they don't get better in fact they get worse and maybe they even die uh, the not yet moments are when uh, you had prophetic promises and and everything in your life went the exact opposite way of prophetic promises and let me just tell you about prophetic promises for a moment usually when God gives you a prophetic word you'll go into a season that's the exact opposite of that word right God told us kids, some of his favorite kids, he's like, I'm going to take you to the promised land. Uh, meanwhile, the very next thing they experience is 40 years of wilderness, you know? It's like, what is that? It's now and not yet, right? So some of you might be thinking, well, Adam, are you just saying it's now? Or I thought it was now and not yet. Yeah, I'm saying it's actually now and not yet, but the thing we have to start changing our minds about is that even in the not yet parts, God is at work and he's doing something, He's doing something like, like even, even when there's relational conflict, even when there's relational conflict, God is at work. There are opportunities. Uh, when you have no more money and there's a lot more month, God is at work. You have not been cursed. You've not been abandoned. God has not forgotten you. There's something else going on. And part of repentance is going, I'm not forsaken. I'm not been left alone. God is near. He's actually come near to me. And because Jesus has a body, he's forever near to me. And even in these like really strange, 
training moments, I will no longer think that I've been left out. That's what repentance means. This is what it means to respond to the message of the kingdom. Like in disappointment, God is at work even in disappointment. Now some of you are saying, Adam, are you saying that God is like giving people disappointments in order? I'm, listen, don't get too far ahead of me. I'm not saying that. I'm saying that God is so crafty. He's so crafty that he could even work in disappointments that he did not administer to your life, right? Like life is wild, y'all. Like, like, like life is crazy. There's, there's wild stuff out there. I, I, you know, it's like anybody ever been out to the real wilderness? Like real, I'm not, I'm not talking about fake wilderness. I'm not talking about a park. I'm talking about real wilderness. Tell you, everybody good? Can I tell you a story? I want to tell you a story about a real wilderness. Uh, four years ago, I went hunting in Montana. <clears throat> with my father-in-law and a guy in the vineyard named John Barnett. And we land and we land early and John's like, let's just go on a quick afternoon hunt. We'll go up to the back of this mountain. I'm like, this is great. Everything in my life is like, this is great. Kingdom is now, you know? <laughs> and and in, in the haste of like, that moment, I didn't think we were going hunting that afternoon. In the haste, I just like, Threw on my jacket and grabbed my gun and I went out the door and I jumped in the truck and we were like, we were gone, right? I didn't bring my backpack. I didn't bring my GPS. I didn't bring my flashlight. I did not bring snacks. I did not bring water. And we go out into this mountain and John says, Adam, why don't you just go up to the right here? I'm going to go in the middle. Ray, why don't you go to the left? We'll meet at the top on the fire road. I'll be there. We'll walk down together. If you see something, shoot it, yell out. We'll come help you. I mean, it was like, I was like, I grew up in Kentucky. This sounds like home. Let's go, you know? And so we take off and, and, and little did I, we, this was not a small mountain. Like we don't have pieces of this kind of geography in Kentucky. And so I get to the top and I'm looking around and there is there's no Hunter's Orange anywhere. There's, there's no John Barnett. There's no Ray. So I thought, I'll just walk down the fire road and I'll find them. And I walk and I walk and I don't, I, I don't really find them. The sun starts to go a little low. And, and, and then I, I don't know what happened, but it was dark. <laughs> and it wasn't just dark, but it was like Mammoth Cave dark. Anybody here ever been to Mammoth Cave when they turn the lights off? God almighty, like, like I was standing in the middle of Montana with my hand like this and I can't see anything, right? I'm lost and, I, I'm, in, I'm, and, I'm, and I'm doing this thing in my brain and I thought, well, yell, yell for them. That, like, we're past the point of trying to shoot an elk now, yell for them. So I yelled and, and I yelled as loud, and I'm a loud person, I yelled as loud as I could and it felt like my voice would go eight feet out of my body. Anybody ever been outside? He's like, yeah! It's just like my voice was dying eight feet away and was going nowhere. I realized, okay, I, that's not going to work. So I'm like, okay, this is where I'm going to die. This is it. This is where, this is it. I, they'll never find me. A cougar is going to take me. This is it. And I remembered, I, I thought, okay, I walk off of this mountain and I remembered there was a barbed wire fence at the bottom. So I just walked and I was falling and, and, and I couldn't find anything. I was running into like trees. And, and then I finally get to the bottom and I ran into the barbed wire fence. I mean, I just, it hit me in the chest, right? And 
I, I just I hold on to the barbed wire fence with my right hand. I have my gun with my left, and I just keep walking. And way in the distance, I see a little light on. And so I thought, oh, I guess I should go to the light. You know, this way, it feels metaphoric. <laughs> go to the light. So I jump the fence, and I go to the light. And then I realize on the back of this mountain, there's, a, there's like a little house, and there's a garage there. And I can see a man in the window washing his dishes. And then I realize... I'm in camo with a gun. Like, this is, it's not going to be the cougar. It's that guy. He's going to kill me. This is it, you know? Anyway, long story short, I end up knocking on the door, scared this guy. I get scared. Anyway, he takes me, and at the end of the day, I was a half mile away from them the whole time, right? Why did I tell you that story? Life is crazy. It's wild out there. It's like, there's no, there's no rules. There's no rule. This is a wild place, you know? And sometimes your life is going to go really, really good. And it's going to be like kingdom is breaking in and you're going to have all kinds of stuff. And there'll be love in your marriage and the kids behave and there'll be money and there'll be like healing. There'll be power and authority and stuff will happen at church and your sick neighbor you didn't even like will get healed when you pray for them. And, the, and then sometimes it's like the exact opposite. Your neighbor you love, you'll pray for them 10 times and they'll die. I've done that, you know? And, and not only that, but you'll fight with your wife over nothing and there won't be any money. And even when there's only bad things happening, God is so crafty. He is so crafty that, that he is near and he is now. And even in the midst of like great turmoil, there is opportunity and there's a, there's a chance to repent and to have our mind renewed and to stop thinking that God is only with us when things are going great. You could be lost on the back of a mountain in Montana and God could be with you and at work teaching you things you can't learn any other way. And by the way, God didn't get me lost that day. I was the idiot, right? How many of you understand that's the point of the story, right? Like, like I didn't, I, it wasn't that God took the kingdom away from me. I just ran out into a part of the kingdom I'd never experienced, ill-prepared, right? Do you know what I'm talking about? Okay, I've gone hunting a lot since then. Side break, this has nothing to do with the message. I have never forgotten my flashlight, my food, my GPS. It's like, fool me once. Yeah, I'm, yeah, never again, right? This is the message of the kingdom, this is the message of Jesus. This is the good news of the, of the kingdom. And here, here's what I want to say to this room tonight in particular. This is the good news you carry with you. This is the good news you actually live in. Whether you know it or not, this is what you live in. And this is the good news you carry everywhere you go. And this is the good news you can actually begin to share. This is the good news you can begin to experience and the good news you can begin to share. What is it? That God's kingdom is now, it is here, it is breaking in, and even in the places that it is not, he is present and he is at work. Even in the places where we feel confused, even in the places where we don't know what's going on, God is at work, God is going deeper, he's showing us something, we've never been left, we've never been abandoned. Uh, God is at work at work, he's at work at home, he's at work with little kids, he's just at work. The message of the kingdom is that this is a God-soaked universe and you cannot find one square inch of it that he is not present in or working. This is a life-affirming message.
Like your life matters. Right now it matters. Who you are matters. Where you live matters. Where you go matters. What you do matters. Everything matters. Okay, I've kind of preached a long time. Wow. Everybody okay? Yeah, good. Hey, here's what I want to do. I think we should just pray tonight. Like if you came to church on a Thursday night, we got to pray for each other, right? Goodness gracious. We, we got to do ministry. We, like if you're coming here in the middle of the week, you got to just wake up just a little bit. So why don't we do this just for a moment? Let's just hang out and everybody can just sit right there. But I, I want to do some ministry, and I, I felt like a couple things, and we're just going to wait on God, too, because he'll probably want to stir some other stuff up, because that's how he is. But I, I felt like God would probably want to do a few things with us tonight. Uh, I felt like God would maybe want to break off fear and anxiety from people, especially fear and anxiety that we received, maybe as small children, from the from the faith experiences we had. Uh, maybe some people here, you just know it when I was talking about it, you're like, oh my goodness, I was kind of like initiated into this thing with an anxious message and I have consistently had trouble like connecting to the love of God, okay? I just want to tell you that is a, that is a, that is a real thing and we want to break the power of that tonight. Uh, so fear and anxiety, we want to pray for those, especially those things that are rooted in our religious upbreaking. Uh, the other thing I, I felt like the Lord wanted to do tonight was just, he wanted to deal with, uh, the phrase I got on the drive up here was roots of disappointment. Roots of disappointment. I felt like there may be some people here who, you know, your life was going okay or you had a plan for your life and then all of a sudden, your life just hit the buzzsaw and like everything you had planned or hoped or worked for just went, you know, and then you look at your current life and you're like, this is not what I dreamed of, you know, and you're like, I feel completely abandoned and left out by God, you know, and I think that God just wants to break the power of disappointment off of people. He wants to take us out of those kinds of moments. And then finally, um, when I was prepping this message uh, a while back, I felt like the Lord wanted to touch people who had experienced deep loss. And the word I got was loss. Like, and I, I, I think this has to do with all kinds of stuff. Like it could go any sort of direction. But I, I think this is about loss of relationships. And I also think this is a real, like in a different category. I think this is about like things like losses of businesses and loss of like uh, contracts and work. Does that make sense? And it could be about loss in a lot of other areas. But I think there's, a, there's also a note of this loss that is about uh, entrepreneurial stuff that's just been thwarted, if that makes sense. Okay, uh, before we just do some more waiting, uh, any of these words for people who are in this room right now, if that's you, will you just put your hand up where you're at? Okay, cool, cool. I tell you what, why don't, if any of those words are for you, why don't you just stand up right where you are? Because we're going to do some ministry tonight. If that makes you, if, if you're comfortable with that, just stand up right where you are. We're going we're gonna to begin to pray tonight. Mm. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. It's always precious when people even do really small things like stand up and say, you know, that's me. That's, that's precious to me, but it's really precious to the Lord. And, and here's why. Like the Lord cannot heal your fake life. He can only heal your actual life. 
you know? Uh, your denial life, he can't touch it. The one you'll own, uh, he can touch. And like, there's something about standing up that just is like, I'm owning it, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Well, we're going to have some people pray for you in just a moment, but why don't, why don't we all just hold our hands out like this? We're just going to go full vineyard, even people who are sitting, because I just felt like we were supposed to wait on the Lord, and Michael said we have till nine o'clock, so we're just... <laughs> I have 30 minutes. I'm just kidding. Just kidding. Oh, Lord, we love you in this place. Welcome, Holy Spirit. We welcome you here. We welcome you to do things that only you can do. you, Lord. God, we just acknowledge that you are here. And we ask for more. We know that's a crazy prayer, but we just ask for more. God, we acknowledge that you are here. We ask that you would wake us up even more. Wake us up to your hereness. I think I have a word for the young lady in the back right here, over on the left. Uh, you're in a maroon shirt? You? What's your name? I'm sorry? Sonia. Sonia. Yeah, uh, while, we're just, while we're just praying here, Sonia, I felt like, I felt like, I felt like the Lord said that he's going to give you garments of praise for heaviness. Does this make any sense at all? Does that make any sense? Okay, okay. Here's what I saw. I saw the Lord put uh, like robes of light around you. Yeah, and even now, I just feel like the Lord, I just see the Lord, uh, I, I see wooden wagons. I see wooden wagons of like, produce and fruit um, all around you. Uh, and I think those are just pictures of abundance. Yeah. Thank you, Lord. Thank you. Yeah, we just asked for more.
Thank you, Lord. Yeah. Yeah, Here's what I want to do for everybody who's standing up. Just keep standing. And if we could just get people, like church, we're just going to be the ministry team. If we can get people to come and just lay a hand on all these people who are standing and find out, like, why they need prayer. Find out why they need prayer. Come on, church, let's do this together. Can we do this? Thank you. Find out why they need prayer. You might even, you might even have to put your hand up because when everybody stands up, then, it's, then we lose it. <laughs> put your hand up if you need prayer. Let's do it. I have my hand up. Yeah, let's, just, let's, let's be the body tonight. We've got a couple hands right here in the middle. Yeah, 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 you're on it. Thank you. Let's just... Let's just soak this up. God, we ask for power in this room tonight to do and to be things that only you can do and be. We release hope in this room. Thank you, Lord.